0: Hey, I'm Austin, and I'm one of the pastors here at Vantage Point Church. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope this message both encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message.
1: Make sure that you're aware of that. Uh, Just a very difficult story that we're going to look at. So if you have a Bible handy this morning, you can turn to Judges chapter 19. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the verses on the screen. But before we jump in, man, let me just say a quick thank you to Pastor Eli. Didn't didn't he do an amazing job last Sunday? There he is up in the booth walking us through uh, the story of Samson and kind of just seeing some some different sides of that story maybe you've never seen. And I love one of the things he said is that it took Samson losing his sight to regain his vision. How incredible. But sadly, that wasn't the case for the, the rest of the nation. Even though Samson went through this process and he regained his vision, what we're gonna see in the stories that we look at today is a group of people that have lost their vision and their perspective. And, and the sad course uh, that it takes. And there's a phrase that's used several times over the last five chapters in the book of Judges that really just kind of sums the whole thing up. We're gonna throw it on the screen. This is the last verse in the book of Judges, Judges 21, verse 25, it says this. And in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, if you were with us when we started this series on Judges, We said that the book of Judges is really um, just a graphic depiction of what it looks like when a culture decides to just go and do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. And it it creates a cycle, a cycle of confusion and sin and people calling out to God for relief, but they never really allow Him to change their lives. And so they stay in that cycle. And so um, it's not good. And so we're gonna jump in. Now you're gonna notice in in Judges 19, uh, there is no, no judge in these verses. This is the culmination of what it looks like to live in this cycle. And we're gonna see kind of the end result of it. So Judges 19, starting with verse one, it says this. Now a Levite took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judea, but she was unfaithful to him. So she left him and went back to her parents' home in Bethlehem. So right off the bat, we see a Levite who is, is a, a priest, uh, who's also, you know, works in, the, the, you know, the, in a priestly office. And then we see a concubine who is like a mistress and a priest that they could be married in, in Israel, a priest could be married, but having a concubine, that was like way outside the lines, not something you're supposed to do. And so this priest uh, has a mistress but he's kind of on the outs with his mistress. She goes back to mom's house. And so the priest kind of catches up with her and who knows what he says there? He says, you know, hey, you know, I'm gonna leave my wife. I, I really mean it this time. Who, who knows what he says? But they work things out and she, she leaves with him. But she leaves kind of, they leave uh, kind of late in the day. So there's no way they're gonna make the, the whole journey back to their home. So, so we pick up the story in verse 14. So they went on and as the sun was, was set, uh, as they neared Gibba uh, in Benjamin, there they stopped to spend the night. They went and sat in the city square. Now, this is before there were holiday inns. And so, you know, if you didn't know anybody in the city, what you would do is you'd come into the city and you'd go to the, the city square and you kind of just hang out and hope that someone would provide some hospitality and invite you to stay with them. Uh, and so that's what th- th- they're doing here. Um, but no one took them in for the night until an older gentleman saw them, and this is what he says them in verse 20. He said, you are welcome in my home, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need, only don't spend the night in the city square. See, what he knew is in those days, the city square was not a very safe place uh, for out-of-towners, people who who were foreign to them to stay. They would get harassed, uh, sometimes robbed and taken advantage of. So he says, hey, whatever you do, don't stay in the city square, come stay with me. So they go to stay with him and they get settled in for the night. Uh, Then verse 22, while they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house, pounded on the door. They shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so that we can have sex with him. Wow. It took a turn, huh? Yeah. Um, once again, not a set of, of Bible bedtime stories. Right? There, are, there are definitely passages of the Bible that are rated R that, um, anyhow, <clears throat> Let's keep going. Uh, and so, so the old man and the Levite, they're kind of nervous. They're not sure what to do. So <laughs> the Levite suggests, hey, why don't we send up my mistress and you can do whatever you want with, that, with her, which now I'm starting to understand maybe why she went back to mama's house, yeah. okay? <clears throat> so they do that, verse uh, 25, so the man took his concubine and sent her outside to them and they raped her and, and abused her throughout the night and at dawn they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door and lay there until daylight. When her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way. There's no appropriate words for this guy. Um, Wow, he's like nothing happened. He's gonna keep going on his journey. There lay his concubine fallen in the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let's go. Wow, but there was no answer. Then the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. When he reached home, he took a knife and cut up his concubine. Now, we're, we're assuming that she's, she's passed at this point, that she's dead, we hope. I hope so. Yeah. Cut her up limb by limb into 12 parts and sent them into the, all the areas of Israel. So what he does is he, he takes... Her, and he sends like these little packages out to all the other 12 tribes. And when they received this package and they realized what happened, it says they were utterly shocked. They said, nothing like this has ever happened since we left Egypt. This is terrible. This should, this should not be done. Something must be done. And so they gathered together an army of 400,000 men uh, to deal with this. And so um, uh, we'll jump ahead to, to chapter 20, verse 11. It says this. So all the Israelites got together and united as one against the city. So they go to the city where this happened and they said, hey, send out the men responsible for this atrocity. But the city refuses. (laughs) And so in in their fury and their anger and their disgust, they attack the city and, and they probably take it maybe just a little bit too far. Verse 48 says, the men of Israel went back to Benjamin and put all the towns to the sword including the animals and everything else they found, all the towns they came across, they set on fire. And so at the end of this, there was only 600 Benjaminites who survived, 600 Benjaminite men, and they ran off and hid in the mountains. This brings us to chapter 21. And so when they realized that the men of Israel realized that some of these guys had escaped, they made a vow together, verse one of chapter 21, saying, not one of us will give his daughter in marriage to a Benjamite to say, we're we're gonna really kind of deal them a harsh blow. Well, some time passes and over time, they realize uh, the magnitude of what's happened here. They realize, you know what? They only have 600 men. Uh, There's no one that they can marry. This tribe is gonna die out. We have basically wiped out one of the tribes of of Israel. There, There were 12 tribes. Now there probably will only be 11 tribes. And it says they went to the tabernacle and they wept. And, and they thought, well, what can we do? Now notice here, they came up with a solution, but this was not God's solution. This was them just kind of, this is just a bunch of dudes getting together and brainstorming what's the best thing to do. How many of you know that's not always, that doesn't always work out so well? You get some guys together, well, well, we can fix it. Anyhow, that's a whole other sermon that my wife would amen to way too much. <clears throat> So they said, hey, when we were making these battle plans, was there any region of Israel that didn't come out to help us fight? And they recognized, you know what? Uh, uh, It was Jabesh Gilead. They didn't send anyone to fight. So here's their solution, verse 10. So the assembly sent 12,000 fighting men with instructions to go to Jabesh Gilead and put to the sword those living there, including women and children. What? What? this is what you're to do. They said, kill every male and every woman who is not a virgin. Virgin, And so they go and they do that. This, this sounds like a good plan. This, this was their solution. And so in the process, they end up kidnapping 400 girls to bring back for, for wives for the guys of this tribe. But you know, that's not enough. There's still 200, you know, 200 wives short. So, so what are we gonna do? Well, someone else pipes in and says, hey, I, I remember there, there's this fall festival that happens and you know, um, up, you know, outside of Shiloh. And there's this one tribe where all the women come out to this fall festival and they go and they dance in the fields and they have like a little craft fair and uh, you know, they do all that stuff. And none of the guys go because guys aren't, aren't into that too much. Um, why don't you go and you can capture a wife from there. Verse 20, it says, so go and hide in the vineyards and watch. And when the young women of Shiloh come out to join in the dancing, rush from the vineyards, and each of you sees one of them to be your wife. So they do. And that's the end of Judges. I know. What? I want to remind you, and this is going to be clear as we look through this, this is not prescriptive. This is descriptive, meaning this is not what God would want in, in any way, shape, or form, this is just describing what humans do sometimes, okay? Um, man, we could probably tell some stories, hopefully not as terrible as this, but of some of the, the, the terrible mistakes we've made when we try to come up with our own solutions apart from God. And the whole book is summed up with the last verse. we will throw it on the screen again. Judges 21, verse 25, it says, and in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Wow, does, does this whole account, does, are you just feeling gross right now? I feel, I feel gross too, you should feel gross, but this is the end result of what happens when a culture just does whatever they think is right in their own eyes. When a culture says, well, I'm just gonna do, you know, what works for me, what, what looks good for me, you, know, you do you and I'm gonna do me and we'll just see what happens. This is what happens when a culture has lost its vision. And you know what's amazing to me? is in the beginning of the book of Judges, the Israelites, they, they were the good guys. They were the, the salt and the light in a very dark culture, but, but they've got to the point now that you can't distinguish them from any other pagan nation that's around them. The story we just looked at, it started out with a Levite and, 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 and an older gentleman, a Levite and an elder. And, and you would think, you know, if anyone, would be safe. If a young lady would think, you know, man, if there's anyone I can trust in and depend on to take me on this journey and to get me where I need to be safely. I mean, who, who better to trust than a priest and grandpa, yeah. right? But this culture, they've stayed in that sin cycle too long and it's begun to affect how they think. I heard one pastor say, uh, you know, one day without spending time with Jesus leaves me irritable, which I can agree to that, you could ask my wife. Two days without spending time with Jesus makes me vulnerable. And three days without spending time with Jesus makes me capable of any sin in the world. Yeah. Wow, isn't that, isn't that true? I find that's true for me. One day makes me irritable, 2 days, days makes me vulnerable, 3 days makes me capable of any sin in the world. We we like to think of ourselves with, with really high standards, you know? We like to believe the best about ourselves, but but we are apart from Jesus we are capable from terrible things. And that's what we see happening in this story an angry mob storming someone's home, demanding they send out their guests, their guests so they can rape them. Does this story sound a little familiar? It should, because we hear the exact same thing happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, in the book of Genesis. Except in, in that case, it was happening by the, the pagan Canaanites. This is God's chosen people behaving this way. How does that happen? How, how does someone who experienced God's presence and have seen miracles and seen God part the sea and, and lead them by a pillar of fire, how can they find themselves in a place like this, how can a culture with such a great history and heritage find themselves here? Let's look at a verse on the screen. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says this. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. There's another translation that says it like this: where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. Cast off. See, when we lose our vision of God, when people don't have a vision of who God is, when we lose our vision of of who we are, of how God sees us and those around us as people who have value and worth, we just cast off restraint. And people just begin to do what they think is right in their own eyes and and look at who suffers. I put my notes, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. When we lose our vision, the vulnerable become victim. When we lose our vision, it's the vulnerable who become victim. And we see this playing out in our culture today, don't we? I mean, and so many times it's, it's women and children who get the brunt of it. You know, where was the voice defending those 400 girls that were being kidnapped? Where was the voice defending the, the, the concubine who was just being sent out? You notice when he tells this story, he conveniently leaves out the fact that he so bravely offered her instead of himself. Right? right. right? And so, The vulnerable become victims. Consider this, single moms and their children in our country, they face the highest rates of poverty and have the hardest time escaping it because we cast off restraint to just do what what we want. There are hundreds of kids in foster care in our county right now at no fault of their own because someone made choices and to, to cast off restraint and to do what looked good in their eyes. There are 30 million mostly teenagers that have been diagnosed with an eating disorder, in part because our culture's obsession with body image. And so many others deal with anxiety and depression. An unrestrained appetite for pornography in our, community, in our, our culture has led to the sex industry where the average age of a girl who enters it is 13 years old. Hmm. I'm debating whether or not to say what I'm about to say. Um, you know, th- there's a whole situation that's happening in Atlanta right now. And the, the focus, and I'll say this, um, no one should ever, I mean, every human being is made in the image of God and God sees the, the spectrum of races beautiful. They're made in God's image. But th- th- what happened in Atlanta, n- no one's questioning where it happened. That, that this was happening at, at all night massage parlors, that the girls this happened to were victims of, of, of the sex slave trade, okay? And, and we, we, an unrestrained culture. I, I know, I don't care the political side of it, but right now there are thousands of kids flooding our border, right? And, and the thing is, is, is who's suffering? The children are suffering. The children, I don't, regardless of who's bringing them there, how they're getting there, or what's... The, 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 When we cast off restraint, the vulnerable suffer. Meanwhile, during prime time at the Grammys, we have artists that are singing uh, pornographic lyrics and they're being held up as a symbol of female empowerment. When we cast off our restraints, when there's no vision, people cast off restraint and the vulnerable become victims. And if we were to read the rest of this story, you'd find that the the, the Levite, he's blaming the men outside his door. Well, you know, it's the men out there that they came and they attacked us and they did this. But let me ask you, who sent her out the door? Who sent her out the door? It's so easy to blame the culture outside the door. And then we get upset by what's happening to our kids. But come on, what position are we putting them in? We put our kids in a dangerous position when we send them out the door with very little knowledge of the word of God. We put our kids in a dangerous position when we send them out the door, not knowing how to arm themselves against the lies of the enemy and without an example to follow. And, and you know what? I love the fact that we have an incredible children's ministry here at our church. Your kids, are they're learning the word of God right now. We have an amazing youth ministry, but you know what? One hour a week, one hour a couple times a week, it's not enough. And I recognize parents, I, I'm in the same boat. We might say, well, you know, it's just, I, I just don't know how to do it. You know, have a conversation about God or, or get into the Bible or, or pray out loud, just, I just, I don't know what to do. Well, come on, when, you're, when your child was an infant and they sent you home without an instruction manual, we didn't know what to do either, you know? Like, is it supposed to be that color? Call grandma, like who knows, you know? But, we figured it out, we, we bumped them on the way. You figured out the doctor's appointments and how to, how to interact with the school system. We figured it out, why? Because it was that important. It's so important. See, here's the thing, the issue, the issue is not how bad the culture is out here. The real issue is how much of the culture is in here. Okay, so let's, let's jump back in. Uh, we're gonna go back a couple chapters now to chapter 17 because I think it kind of, we're gonna see some stories that kind of show the lead up to this. Like how how does it get to this point where, where they're doing these terrible things, what has to happen to kind of lead the way? And so we're gonna see how they got there. So Judges chapter 17, in Judges chapter 17, it tells the really weird story of a guy named Micah. And now this is not the same Micah who's a prophet that has his own book in the Bible. This Micah one day, uh, he's kind of just hanging out somewhere and he overhears his mom pronouncing a curse over the person who stole a large sum of money from her. And he starts to get worried and freaked out because he's that person. Okay, some of you have been there. Um, but he's freaked out enough that he actually goes to mom and confesses and says, yeah, that was me. And, and his mom is so relieved that to, not, to have the money back, guess what she does? She says this in uh, verse three of chapter 17. She says, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver, I will give, back, I will give it back to you. So, catch this, she's saying thank you to God by building a little statue to God. Okay, this is kind of weird. Now, I wanna be clear. She's not making an idol, that's not her intention to make an idol to a foreign God. She wants to make a statue to the the God of Israel, to the God of the Bible. Okay, verse five. Now this man Micah had a shrine and he installed one of his sons as priest. (laughs) I love the next verse. And in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I almost feel like he had to like, like say that as a precursor because like you're reading, it's like, wait, what? What the what? It's like, there was no king. Everyone was just doing their own thing. Oh, okay, because why on earth would this happen? Now see, even if, if what this woman did, even if her intention uh, may have been pure, it was a violation of God's word. Because in the 10 commandments, commandment number two is thou shalt not make any graven images. And that's what this woman is doing. And I think it's interesting because once again, we see that, that what we do, our kids will take two steps further than us, yeah. right? Do you notice that? Like, like she made a statue, her son set up a shrine and made his son the priest, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like our kids will always take what we do to the extreme, Okay. Now you might be saying, okay, well, what's the big deal? Why was it such a big deal for them to make an, a, an image of God? Like, why, why is God against that? Here's the problem. Anytime we try to create an image of God, our image of God would always be too small, too limited yeah. and one-sided, right? Because we try to, to, to make an image and it would only show the, the, the side of God that we like. You know what I mean? We'd show our preferences, and we would have these our own little personal images of God that appeal to us. Some would magnify His mercy, but downplay the miracles. Because I'm kind of uncomfortable with miracles. I'm not really going to show that side of God. Others would celebrate the righteous Judge who deals with injustice, but they would never look on or show others the gracious Father. Some you would highlight God's compassion, but you downplay the conviction we would unintentionally put God in a box and limit Him. And you know what? Sometimes we see believers doing that with the Bible. Ooh, sometimes we, we, can, we can take the Bible and turn the Bible into an idol and use scripture to limit God. Now, now let me be clear. Here's the thing, we use scripture to identify God, to recognize if what we're seeing in the world is reflecting His character and His qualities, but we never use it to rein Him in. Okay, We use scripture to recognize God, not to rein him in and say, well, God, you can't do that because you haven't done that before. We say, does this look like God's character and his qualities as it's, as it's said in God's word? Okay, Because God even said in the book of Isaiah, behold, I'm doing a new thing. You got to get, get me outside your little, your little religious box. The Pharisees missed Jesus the first time because they had him in a box because he didn't look like what they thought he was going to look like. He says, I'm doing a new thing, even though you may not receive it. So like Micah and his mom, it's not that we reject God. The issue is that we attempt to remake God in our own image. We don't reject God. Like our culture doesn't outrightly reject God. It just tries to remake God in its own image. Our culture likes the idea of God. We like the idea that there's someone looking out for us, that, that, you know, uh, there's purpose in all this, that we're not alone in the universe. I mean, you maybe have even heard people like personify the universe. you know, like, well, the universe is trying to teach me something today, or I wonder why the universe is putting me through this. It's kind of amazing. See, we don't reject God. We just want a God we can fit in our back pocket. A God that looks like us and thinks like we do. You know, uh, uh, it's kind of like this. We we kind of want a uh, a Ricky Bobby version of God. Uh, If you remember uh, Talladega Nights, do you have a picture of that? You know, I like... <laughs> you know, he's, he's praying to, to you know, baby Jesus. And he says, I like the Christmas version of Jesus best. And, and he says, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party. <laughs> now, we, we laugh that off, we think it's funny, but you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing, you probably heard people say, well, you know, I could never believe in a God that would do that. You know, uh, the God I believe in would never say this, my God, so you're, you're saying that, that you're taking, we're not serving the God of reality and the God of the Bible. We're, we're kind of creating our own little image of the God that we want and it looks like us. And of course, things like us. So whenever we come to scripture that, that challenges what we're doing or how we're living life, we'll just kind of shave that part off because that offends me. You know, well, and then you challenge it, but scriptures, well, I still believe scripture. I believe what scripture says, you know, but I, I just have to, I have to do what's right for me. I'm gonna do what works for me, what's right for me. And you know, we prayed about it and we have peace. And besides Jesus said, you're not supposed to judge, right? And, and so when we lose our vision, we don't reject God. We just remake him in our image. Let's, let's keep going with the story. So some time has passed and um, uh, Mike is kind of just living life And one day he comes across a Levite. This is a different Levite. And he says, oh, this must be God. Like, hey, I've got my own little deal set up here. I've got like a shrine in my backyard. And I've got a statue of God. You should come and be my priest. Now I'm wondering if like the priest is kind of thing like, the Levite's saying like, what? That's, that's kind of a statue of God in your backyard. That's a little Tiger King. That's a little weird. Um <laughs> You know, and then Micah's like, oh, by the way, did I did not, did not mention, I'm going to pay you a bunch of money. And he's like, I think I am hearing from the Lord. I think I am supposed to do this. So he goes and he becomes this man's personal priest. And listen to what Micah thinks of this verse 13. And Micah said, now I know the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. He said, oh, hey, this is the direction I wanted to go anyhow, but now I have someone who's on my side, right? So I have someone who agrees with me. You know, I really didn't like what what my pastor was saying. And I think the church is kind of a little legalistic. So I went out and I found myself an influencer. I, I mean, a Levite. I found myself a Levite who's gonna tell me what I wanna hear. You know, it's amazing how easy it is nowadays to find a Levite on the internet, on Instagram or YouTube. I mean, they're everywhere. You go and you, can, you listen to a, a minute and a half little clip and you walk away feeling great about whatever it is you're doing. You know, doesn't matter whatever it is, you feel good about yourself. You know, it's such a God thing. I mean, it's so crazy. Like, like I was in a bad place in my marriage and they were in a bad place in their marriage, but God just brought us together because we were both surfing our old high school fa- uh, Facebook page after our spouses were in bed. And God brought us together and you know, we prayed about it. And, and, you know, he found this verse in the Bible that says, God will give you the desires of your heart. And now I just have so much peace. It's a God thing. Or you know what? It's so amazing. Like I was, I was cruising around this car lot that had like all these cars that were like, you know, six times my monthly income and I really wanted one. And I was praying, God, can you make a way? And just then a little ding and my Stimmy check came in, right? <laughs> $1,400, I can, I can now buy this car that, you know, will bankrupt me. But it, it's a God thing. It's amazing. Here's the thing. We go looking for formulas to fit God into our plans. I put in my notes, religion looks for a formula while real faith says, God formed me. God formed me. Religion looks for a formula. You know, uh, one church service a week, two chapters of the Bible and one prayer a day. And come on, give me, give me, give me, give me. Oh, that doesn't work. I gotta go to the to the slot machine of God again, you know. Okay, it'll be two prayers. I'll add volunteering once a month, and I'm gonna put my heels together three times. And come on, maybe it's gonna work. We look for a formula, but real faith says, God, form me. Pastor Eli mentioned it last week. Uh, Psalms 139. We're gonna have the verse on the screen where it says it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God, the the Bible knows you, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing? Our our anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. See, real faith comes to God and says, here's all my desires and all my doubts. I'm gonna let all my wants and my worries on the table. God, search me. I'm not looking for a loophole. I'm not, not trying to get my way. I want your will because I recognize that sometimes my thoughts don't line up with your thoughts. And God, I've learned to recognize that sometimes my desires, they lie to me, yeah. they lie to me. And so Lord, would you form me according to your word? Would you, would you chip away at me until I look like you and not the other way around? Because so many times in our, in our modern faith culture, that's what we do. We chip away at the word of God until it's palatable, until it's comfortable until it can fit my back pocket. See, in the next chapter, another group of Israelites show up in Micah's neighborhood and they ask his priest a familiar question. This is verse 19, I think of, of uh, chapter 18. It says, come with us and be our priest. Here it is, isn't it better for you to serve a tribe and clan in Israel as priests rather than just one man? Do you remember that question from a few weeks back? What's better for you? Not what's right, not what not what's God's will, but hey, what's better for you? So the priest says, Oh, this is a promotion. So he, he packs up and in the middle of the night he steals the statue, the little statue of God, and he runs off and he leaves Micah. And Micah recognizes this, and listen to what he says. This is verse 24. And Micah said, If you take my gods that I made, then what have I left? And that's sad. If you, if you take my gods that I made, what, what do I have left? But see, that's what happens when we try to make God in our own image. That's what happens when, when we have a small God that you can easily fit in your back pocket. Don't be surprised when it just as easily falls out. And you hear people saying, well, I, I think I'm losing faith. I think I'm losing my faith because circumstances aren't working out the way that I thought they were going to work out. So I've lost faith. No, no, you haven't lost faith. You just need to find a God that's bigger than yourself. So what's the solution? How can we we regain our vision? Well, the answer was hinted at several times. Let's look at that last verse in the book of Judges one more time. Judges 21, verse 25, he says... And in those days, there was no king in Israel. See, when there's no king, chaos reigns. When there's no king, chaos reigns. The solution is is we need a king. We need a king, not a a little man-made God that can can fall out of our back pocket, but a king. Not a politician that sits in an office, but we need the king who is seated on the throne of our hearts. I love what Isaiah says, this is our last scripture. Isaiah chapter six, he has this realization, he says this, verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And all around him were seraphim or angels circling the throne of God, crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. See, he looked up and he saw the king and listen to his response. Verse five. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, that's how we regain our vision. And that's how we break out of this cycle of sin and insanity. We see the King, which causes us to see our own condition. And then we cry out, We cry out, improve me. (laughs) No, make me the best version of myself. No, no, be with me and make everything work out my way. What does he cry out? God, I'm ruined. I'm ruined, I can't do this on my own. You're the only one that can do anything about my situation. God, I don't want a formula, I need you to form me. And that's how we break the cycle. That's where true and lasting change begins. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these disturbing chapters, these difficult chapters, these chapters that we would rather not look at, we'd rather look away. But God, I thank you that you left them there. God, so we could recognize this cycle so that we wouldn't have to become a victim of it ourselves so that we could break out of it God, I pray you'd help us to begin doing that today. Father, I thank you that this room and those who are joining us as part of this church, God, Lord, I look out and I see, I see a, a room full of people that are, that are elders and priests. Elders and priests, people who have, have experienced walking with you, God. People who are gonna take the responsibility of, of protecting and preparing their family. God, would you help us to become those things? God, so that those who are journeying with us, whether it be our kids, our grandkids, the people we influence at work and in our daily lives, God, so they would know that there were some people that can get them safely where they need to go, which is to you. God, help us to do that. As we're praying this morning, let me ask you, how's your vision? Are you seeing God clearly? Are there areas you've been trying to fit God into your plans? And I think if we're honest, I think we could probably all have at least one area where we love God, but this is my will. This is what I want. And so we try to fit God into our plans. God, would you show us where we're doing that? God, we don't want to worship an image of you. We wanna worship you. We want all that you want for our lives others at this point, you're saying, God, I'm done with formulas. I need you to form me. So everything's on the table. God, I'm not holding back. I give you my entire life. As we're praying this morning, you know, scripture says that there was no king in Israel. My question to us is simply this, is Jesus the king of your heart? Is Jesus the king of your heart? Not just a companion, not just someone you, you like the idea of and, and you believe in, but, but does he have final say? Does his word have final say in your life? Have you made him the king of your life? So this morning, I wanna give an opportunity with everyone's eyes closed. It's gonna take a moment. I wanna embarrass anyone. I'm not gonna call anyone out and make you come to the front. I just wanna know who I'm praying for. If you'd say, I need to make Jesus the king of my heart today, would you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for? There in the sides, God bless you. There in the back, God bless you. On the sides, God bless you. Just take a moment. Hands all across as see your hand, that's awesome. So many people saying, God, I don't wanna play games. I don't wanna play church. I want you to be the king of my heart. Those who are watching this online, You can respond by sending us an email to advantagepointchurch.net. But God, we want you to be the king of our heart. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna say a simple prayer. It's not a magic formula, but if it's the intentions of your heart, you're inviting God to be working in your life. Let's pray together. Vantage Point Church, no one prays alone. Let's pray this together. Father God, I give you my heart. I'm sorry for going my own way, for choices that have hurt me, and choices that have hurt you. Thank you for sending Jesus to break me out of that cycle, to give me freedom, hope, and new life. I receive you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand to your feet if you're able to at this time. Man, I'm so excited for those that said that prayer, uh, especially for the first time. I want to encourage you the best thing you can do. Come back next week. Come back next Sunday and continue to let God work in your life. We have some free resources at our connect table, a little Bible, and a now what booklet to help you to have a relationship with Jesus. But I want to encourage you, we're just going to take these next few moments in God's presence. The worship is going to close with a song. If you'd like prayer for anything at all, we'll have members of our prayer team here on the sides and the back with a little prayer badge. But let me just take a moment and pray for us. Father God, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives, but we want all that you have for us. I pray that in these next few moments, God, you would speak to our hearts and show us how we need to respond to what your word has said. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.
2: We're coming like a flood.
1: to to honor that. So I'm going to invite Jennifer to come and just uh, share this reflection. I want to encourage you just to listen to it and see if it speaks to your heart and see if the Lord is speaking to us more. Alter. destroy the idols that people clung to. And so as Jen said, for some maybe it means as you respond to God, you realize that there's an idol in your heart. There's something that that uh, has speaks louder than God's voice. Holds more weight. God to say, and God may be saying it's time for you to to let that go. To, to turn that off, to end that subscription, to to disconnect from that relationship that's toxic. I don't know how God's speaking in your heart, but I know God is speaking this morning so let's listen let's take these next few moments over this next song and respond to god however that looks for you but let's allow god to speak to our hearts again we'll have members of our prayer team here that would love to pray with you as we just seek God over this next song
2: so set a fire down in my soul that i can't contain that i can't control I want
0: Amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit didn't say when he comes, it will be light. Yeah. The Holy Spirit isn't here to just give us the warmth and warmth. said congratulations you made it through judges it's been such a challenging and encouraging message the pastor Kyle has brought with us and I'm so excited what he's going to continue to do in each and every one of our lives if you need prayer if you need time at the altar this doesn't close
2: so
0: I'd encourage you before
1: Thanks again for listening to the Vantage Point Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more episodes. If you love it, you can rate the podcast and share it with your friends. We love you, and we hope you join us again next week.